everyone to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Good afternoon, Natalie. Good afternoon. I am super excited for today because we have author, conference speaker, and the lead pastor at Sunrise Church, Dr. J. Otis Ledbetter with us to talk about soul hunger and of course his new book. So super excited for today. Set free. Yes, set free. Released from the damage of trauma. We're going to be talking about that. I am at some point. So stoked. But Otis, what an honor to have you here. We have a long, long history. Never forget it. I was just be- actually beginning my writing career. I think we were in Atlanta. Yes, we were. And we were at Christian Booksellers Association, which at that time, those conferences were huge. Huge. And I, I think where you were and where I was with my publisher, right across the aisle from you. And I remember, as an artist, you were highlighting a piece of work. I think it Carpentry, was- it was a huge publisher that licensed my work, my photography. They had invited me to come and sign prints, and you were right across the way. Mm-hmm. But, but you were coloring one. That's right. You were coloring one of your prints, and I'd never seen that before. So it fascinated me. So I stood and watched you for a long time. But, you know, that six degrees of separation, we did have friends who knew friends who knew each other, so we connected pretty fast. It was a divine appointment. Yeah, it was. was amazing. Now, looking back on it, it definitely was. But that's the first time. And by the way, I did get that picture. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There were thousands that had submitted their name and Otis comes up to me one at one point says hey I wouldn't mind getting that I know what I'd do without print I said well Otis put your name and you did yep and you won the print it was a huge right now in in the outer office where the receptionist is and as providence would have it Mm -hmm. that's that's right Uh, somebody came in who was very a very famous person, Shirley Dobson, wife of James Dobson, came into the office. She was there of visiting a friend of hers, and, and she saw your picture. And instead of saying hello, she said, who did that? <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, I introduced her to you, and then that was, I think, National Day and of Prayer. Prayer was coming up. Yeah. Do you know, I've, I don't know that I've told this story. Probably not. But... I was up at 4.30 in the morning with a restless heart because I decided to step away from publishing. And I remember thinking, we're losing the heart of a generation and I can't be silent. I'd run into R.C. Sproul at the CBA. Mm-hmm. And I said, how are you doing, R.C.? He said, Virginia, it's good to see you. How are you doing? And I'm never, ever, ever going to forget what he said. I said, how's the CBA going for you this year? And he leaned in, whispered in my ears, in my ear, and he said, if Jesus walked in here, he'd have a whip in his hand. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'll never forget that. By the way, that was when I met you, Otis. And I thought, I agree. (laughs) I've been thinking the same thing. And I thought, and of course, R.C. Sproul was one of my mentors for many years, and I learned so much from him how I learned how to reason through Mm. so many complex ideas. 
and conflicting ideas. And I'll never forget, I walked away from that, and I said, I decided that moment, I can't do this anymore. I was making so much money licensing my photography. The message was always very much what I'm doing with rest, and that's how do we heal the hemorrhaging heart of a generation. Mm. And I thought, it's not going to happen through photography. It's not enough for me. Mm. And my convictions are driving me to do something beyond photography. And it was a stepping stone. Months later, my heart after that conference was in a state of unrest. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Mm. But I knew that something had to change in my life in terms of the choices I was making and where I was allocating my time. And I'll never forget just pouring out my heart. And I got up super early and I was overlooking the Pacific Ocean and I was watering flowers and plants and just pouring out my heart. And I remember crying. And I said, if I cannot turn my deepest convictions to action, I'll, I'll consider this my life a waste. I just can't do this anymore. Please give me wisdom. And Shirley Dobson called at 8.30 that morning. Can you believe that? Months wow. after seeing the picture in well, your lobby. It's nice to finally hear the story. Yeah. I never told you that. <laughs> no, you didn't. She wow. called at 8.30 that morning. So you being here is providential, I think, in like form because our friendship goes back. Yeah. Well, we developed okay. a friendship from that. That was probably, that was the book that for I wrote for Focus on the Family and Heritage Builders. My wife and I wrote that Family Fragrance is probably... 1997. Well, you know what? This will be a marker. When Shirley Dobson called me and asked me to do the photography to use that image for National Day of Prayer, 9-11 happened a few months after. Mm -hmm. So it was 9-11 that happened. So I started working on this in May Mm -hmm. 2001. I was working on this in May with them. Mm -hmm. 2000 and 2001, we were hit. Yeah. And it changed everything. So I, it was 2002. That's right. So that happened. She, I got a call from her in 2001. 2002 is when National Day of Prayer came around. But anyway, it was providential. It was a divine appointment. And what a joy and what an honor. Pretty cool. To work. It's amazing. And then our story continues, right? Yeah, we've we've stayed in touch that whole time. Uh, somehow, you know, you connect with a soul in your life that you didn't even intend to connect to, and it just happens. And so we've we've stayed in touch all these years. Well, your book is transformative in my work. It has been transformative for me as somebody who studies and wonders and thinks deeply about how to displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to help people live with greater measures of freedom. Mm-hmm. I don't think allopathic medicine has the answer i don't think psychology allopathic medicine psychiatry law politics i was not satisfied they have answers but they don't have the ultimate answer they don't have the ultimate answer and they're all pieces of information and i was so frustrated even in the pursuit of my own education knowing that that was something i needed to do in my lifetime make a contribution to displace the confusion, chaos, and dis-ease that causes disease, illness, and death of the spirit, soul, and body, and ultimately derails people's lives. And I was so compelled by that that I didn't even have a place where those ideas were discussed under a discipline. So as you all know, 
Otis, I embarked on this pilgrimage of trying to understand how the pieces fit in the whole. And I want you to talk about soul hunger, the hungers that compel us, that drive us, right? That, that compel. I like to always say soul hunger, the hungers that compel you to act because your body drives, the flesh drives, right? But the soul compels. Mm-hmm. And you have a great story about that book. It's become yeah. instrumental in... It's a... It's a 13-year project, and to take 13 years to write a book is painful. Yeah. And and the <laughs> reason it's painful is that you've got to protect the intellectual property, and to, and to, to protect it for 13 years is almost impossible. My wife, she was really the one that kept me on track to not share what what I was seeing and what I was writing down because I had already experienced in I was in music and I had written music and I had already experienced the theft of music mm. into the theft of intellectual property that intellectual property so we were very careful in fact uh, when it all started coming together and I want to tell you how it came together because it's it's miraculous the way it came together uh, but before it came, before it all came together, I spoke in Oklahoma to a, a big fellowship of pastors uh, in a church, and for the first time, I introduced this material, and that was in two thousand and six. I know, I know, because I looked back in in my computer, and that's the PowerPoint. That's when it was created, and I told the pastors, <clears throat> I said, "Look, I'm a pastor, and I can say this. Pastors are some of the some of the worst thieves." They they steal other people's ideas or or their words, and they change them just a little bit, and they make them theirs, and, and that sort of thing. And so, I I know that happens. So that's why I was so protective. And I said to them, I'm I'm going to put the PowerPoint up, but I don't want you to take notes, and I'm going to run through it quickly so that you can't take all the notes. And I want you to promise me that this is a work that is not finished yet, but. I would like to have your input, a direction that I should go or a direction that I shouldn't go. And sure enough, they were very honest and honorable, and they let me do that, and it it never got out. That was 2006. The book was published 2019. Mm-hmm. So that was a 13-year project. What compelled you to write it? It it, it just came about because it... it, it it was haunting me. Several things were. As a pastor, I had people coming to me and saying, I hear you say that I should walk in the Spirit, and I want to. And I attend church. I pray. I read my Bible. I give to charitable organizations and to the church. I do all these things that I hear from the pulpit that I should do, and I'm still stuck. I don't know what it means to walk in the Spirit. I, I, I have no idea what you're saying. And that bothered me. It bothered me that from the pulpit I wasn't clear enough. And when, when intelligent people start asking you intelligent questions, you need to back up and see what kind of answer that you can give. And I was reading in, the, in my Bible and reading through. I'd read Galatians dozens of times. And Galatians chapter 5 that's where I was, and bang, I ran across that scripture, and for the first time I read it differently, 
and had different questions about it than I ever had. What was it about that passage that compelled you? Well, there were two lists, and I call it in the book the tale of two lists. There were two lists in in that, and there's there's the fruit of the Spirit that's listed there, and there's works of the flesh. And if you read the works of the flesh, Virginia, it's like reading... The only way I can describe it is just a bucket full of garbage running running over with human debris. That's if you read it, it's very depressing to read it. The work of the flesh. The works of the flesh. And we often refer to that here, Otis, as these impulses that drive mm-hmm. our behavior. We're driven by these impulses, and you refer to them as the work of the flesh. The, well, they're the the work of the flesh is one way that helps you drive that impulse that's right yes it helps you drive it and there's another list there that's beautiful fruit of the spirit i mean love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and all of that things that are compelling yeah Yeah, and the bible says there's no law against those so there's not one law on the book to control the fruit of the spirit all the laws that are on the governmental books today local national are to control the works of the flesh you don't need laws to control the fruit of the Spirit. Who, whoever has said, well, there's just too much love here. <laughs> That's right. We, we, we or, there's too much, or there's too much peace or happiness. Yeah. Na- yeah. Yeah. Natalie, can you write a law? And <laughs> write a law and say, too much love, too much happiness, too, too much justice. You know what compelled yeah. me about that initial analysis and that initial point that I've heard you make a thousand times? I, I use this every day in my line of work, is that the work of the flesh, the impulse, our impulses, they are work. It takes energy. It takes a lot to generate that activity. But the fruit of the Spirit is natural. It is natural. There's something organic and easy. There doesn't have to be a law against that because one is life-giving and the other one, the work of the flesh, we can create a lot of things. We can do a lot of wonderful things, but it's a whole different focus that drives the flesh mm-hmm. and compels the spirit. Yes. It's a whole energy, different energy field. Yes. Field uh, of energy, excuse absolutely. me. Absolutely. One's reactive and the other's processed. Um, you have to process a lot of things through your soul, but your flesh can be very reactive and quick. Yeah. So I, I'm asking myself, all right, here in this book, God moved the people to write this book. There's the list, this garbage pail list, and then there's this fruit of the spirit list, and they're side by side. And he says in that, he, he definitely talks about their relationship. The relationship of these two lists is that they war against each other. The flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. Mm-hmm. So what are they warring over? And so I asked uh, some of my former seminary professors, and I asked some, some theologians that I know, I, I, I was so bothered by this. I asked, what does is, what is the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit have in common? And they would say immediately to me, absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. I was sitting having dinner with a young man who is in the counseling department of a major seminary of our denomination, and I asked him, what do the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit have in common? He looked at me, he said, 
Why are you even asking that? Absolutely nothing. And I, that's not true. No. They, they can't be side by side in the scripture. They can't be warring over each other and not have anything in common. Because you don't go to war, Virginia, over something you don't want. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So what is it they're fighting yeah. for? What is the common ground? How many years did it take you to figure that one out? Long time. This is what I did. When I can't figure something out, I got to I got to think it over and I got to pray over it. So I went in my office and I see here in your office, you've got these giant post-it notes over here. Okay, Okay, that's what I had. I put giant post-it notes on one side, just like this, my office and one over here. And over here, I listed all of the works of the flesh. I listed them. And then over here, I listed the the fruit of the Spirit. There's nine fruit of the Spirit. There's 17 works of the flesh. In the King James, the New King James Version that I was that I was reading, that's where I got the nine and the seventeen. So every day I would come in to my office. The first thing I would do is close the door and I would look at those lists and I would pray. God, there's something here, and it's going to help answer the question that my people are asking me. How do I walk in the Spirit? I need you to guide me. She told me when you asked for guidance, did you did it occur to you to continue with that question? What is it they're fighting for? Oh yeah, that's that's that what, was the question every day. That, that's what was driving mm-hmm. me. What mm-hmm. what are the, what are they fighting over? I knew the Bible says they war against each other. Now, if it's not property or whatever that no, that neither one of them needs, they would not go to war over that. So it has to be what is ground zero? What is ground zero? So as I prayed over these, Virginia, and I looked in the Bible to see if there was a list just like these others, there's no list. There is a list, but you've got to sort of mine it out like you mine gold and silver. you got to mine it out of the Bible, and then you see the list is there. So one day it occurred to me, all of a sudden, it's, just, it's like those epiphanies. I looked, and I read those lists over again, and I realized that the first fruit of the Spirit is love. The first two works of the flesh are adultery and fornication, what we call making love. Okay, there's a common ground there. What is that common ground? Well, and then it dawned on me, the connection. It's intimacy, connection. That's, what, that's what's needed. That's really the number one desire of the human race is to be connected. Mm-hmm. Intimacy. We are made for connection. Yes, we are. Yep. And in intimacy, By I'm not way, just talking if, about physical intimacy. I'm talking about connection. And I'm so glad you brought, you're bringing that up. And I would like to interject a point that God made us to walk in intimacy, first of all, and foremost with Him. with Him. But if we're not connected to ourselves, spirit, soul, body, and we don't understand the different roles of each of those constituents, It makes life very, very difficult. So at rest, we always talk about that connection and that responsibility and that conversation has to take place. We need to reconcile that conflict first, right? Mm -hmm. Intimacy or connection is what it is. And the second fruit of the Spirit is joy. Over here, the Bible calls it, it's licentiousness and uh, lasciviousness. Uh, Uncleanness, really, and licentiousness, it, it just means that you care more about the flesh and satisfying it than you would care about satisfying mm-hmm. your spirit. Mm-hmm. We're going to break these down yeah. in the next session. And, so, And th- there's so much to say about it. it. It's hard to say it in one sentence. Just uncleanness is what it is. Mm-hmm. Cheap thrills. 
cheap thrills. Yeah. Okay. So you found these patterns. Yeah. So here's the pattern. what, what, what are we looking for? We're looking for happiness. So that other list came. So without belaboring that, I probably had, in fact, I put those post-it notes right in the middle of the two and I started writing down those things with intimacy, connection, and everything I saw between these two and, and ground zero started coming clear. And at first, there were 45 of them, Virginia. Wow. 45. And I thought, well, that's overwhelming. How am I going to say that? Then I began to see redundancies in the list. So with some theologian friends and some therapists, um, we started talking about the redundancies in them. And I asked them to to reduce that list until it was irreducible. Well, I didn't give them a number. Mm-hmm. But every one of them, when they reduced it, reduced it to nine. There are nine fruits of the Spirit. So the point here is this. God does not give you a desire. He will not give you a desire that He cannot fulfill. That He will not enable you to fulfill. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit are. The fruit of the Spirit, all of those hungers, those human hungers in the middle are all satisfied by the fruit of the Spirit. Wow. Usually you have to figure that out and somehow say, well, it needs to be nine because there's nine here. We didn't try that. It just fit that way. It's unbelievable. I have used this with thousands of people. Thousands of people. I have never, never found a discrepancy with the analysis it's forthcoming and the consequence of the tests that you've made available to everyone online. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the next session. You gave us a little bit of context, a little bit of background. So what is ground zero? What is ground zero? Yeah. For those that are listening, if I could just see you through this microphone, I would ask you, so what is the hunger that you are struggling with right now? You know, it it correlates, the physical correlates with the spiritual. I get up in the middle of the night, I'm hungry, and I go to the refrigerator, and I open the door, and I look in, well, what am I hungry for? What do I need? What do I want? What do I want? And I close the door, walk away, but then I'm still hungry, so I go back and open it again. What am I hungry for? What, You know? Because there's a yearning there's that's a creating yearning. the hunger. Yeah, there's a yearning. I'm hungry, but I don't know what I'm hungry for. The doctor's tell me that your body knows what it needs like if you need potassium your body will begin to hunger for foods that have potassium in them because your body knows what it needs and so it hungers for what it needs now if you slide that over into the spiritual god the spiritual and and the physical have a lot of correlation that your spiritual life you will you will be hungering for something and then you will begin to fulfill it. The easiest way to fulfill it is to go to the works of the flesh. Quickest. That's the quickest. It, it happens quicker that way. Then your relationship with God takes time. And it's usually painless. The, initially. Initially painless, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You get satisfaction right away. The, it feels right. That's right. It feels right. And you get rewarded right away. The fruit of the Spirit is a little, it's delayed and more painful usually, huh? Yeah, yeah, that we see it more painful because, you know, I think <laughs> kind of like my dad 
would say, you know, if it's not painful, it's not spiritual. And a lot of people are raised that way, and that I don't. That's not right, but that's the way we think. Honestly, There's I see that. it as like when you're going to the gym and you're working out, right? Mm-hmm. It's easier to sit on the couch. It's easier, like that's what you want to do anyway. You want to remain comfortable, but you're choosing to go to the gym, and the workout can be painful. Being sore afterwards can be painful, but the results are way more rewarding than the results that come with being like a couch potato yeah can i can i just read those nine hungers i was going to ask you to do that before you do that Mm -hmm. um, i just saw a point here that i think is important that and you've mentioned it i just want to make sure our listening audience is really processing this that there is a right prescription Mm -hmm. for every hunger yes and there's a wrong one Yes. And the conscience bears witness of each, yes. generally. Very yeah. quickly, you know what not to do yes. and what to continue doing. You just have to find the strength and courage. Yes. But if you rely on the fruit of the Spirit and trust that it's there, you can come out of really dark places. You really can. And and on the next podcast, what I'd like to do is I'd like to go through those hungers and those people that are listening I'd like for them to find out what their dominant hunger is because then we can really have a conversation. Yeah. When good. they find that out. Right. What a great note to end on, Otis. Let's pick this up in the next session. Thank you. All right, everyone. If you would like more information about Dr. Ledbetter, please go to J O Ledbetter. That's L E D B E T T E R dot com and keep an eye out for his newest book, Set Free Release from the Damage of Trauma. If you have been listening to our podcast regularly and are now wondering what's next or what else can I do to start applying these principles, our on-demand day of rest is available to support you in your pilgrimage. Use the promo code podcast, all lowercase, to receive a 10% discount for our on-demand day of rest. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. Mm